0: To business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of
1: Ireland on News Talk. Delighted to welcome to the executive chair Gary Lavin, he's the founder of VidHit, and he joins me now. How are you, Gary? Hey,
0: Bobby, I'm very good, thank you.
1: Good now, yes, it's uh, lovely to talk to you, Gary. Um, let's go back to the dial the clock back a bit, as the fella says. Uh, in Rat Farnham, both of your parents were entrepreneurs, uh, your early work. Uh, was in your father's business, which I believe was the, the Orchard Inn out there in Ratfarnham. Tell us about your early working years.
0: That's right. Yeah, <clears throat> I was actually about five, which seems kind of like child cruelty today. <laughs> Seven, I think, uh, but we went up on weekends. myself and my older brother, and we'd go out to the bottle yard and uh, sift through all the dirty bottles of Coke and Fanta and whatever else, uh, and put them put them into the correct crates so the uh, breweries would pick them up uh, later in the day
1: and you could get stung by wasps and that kind of thing i did it myself as a very young fella so it was that was one of the hazards of of the job getting stung by a wasp <laughs> That's correct we had many of those or your hands would get
0: caught with little smashed bottles and stuff but uh, yeah. I mean it's good it's good you know it, it's, it's great uh, tell it, teaching young kids the value of a, of a pound back in the day nice and early is a good thing.
1: Yeah now you opted not to go to college uh, I think you, you considered it uh, maybe mulled over it and pursued a career in, in professional sports rugby being your chosen discipline.
0: Yeah, I always joke and call it the university of life. I actually qualified just about, but I was never a great studier. Um, But I I worked really hard um, when I did the leaving, so I got enough points. Went down to Maynooth University, stood in the queue, and uh, got back in the car without signing up. And uh, I just kind of, I knew it wasn't really for me. Um, I, I never really had great retention uh so exams weren't really my thing so I pretty much took a year off and went out to Australia to play rugby and uh then came back to Ireland and just started knocking about I think one of the issues I certainly had as a young lad was I didn't really know what I wanted to do I always knew I wanted to be in my own business but I really didn't know what um and so then rugby turned professional in 1995 and I was lucky enough to get a contract for a couple of years so that kind of saved off me having to go get a real job for a while
1: and did you, did you think that maybe that there, at one stage that, that rugby, a career in rugby was a possibility for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you are an athlete of any level, um,
0: you always have to have this self-belief. So I certainly wrongly believed um, that I was the best centre in the country until I retired about five years and I saw a certain young Brian O'Driscoll hit the scene <laughs> and then I was like, ah, that's what it's all about. So, um, yeah, I certainly thought I was better than I was, but that's, That's the life of professional sport. You've got to believe that you are as good um, as the next guy you're playing up against. So, yeah, I, I was convinced there was a career there. I went over to Harlequins, played a couple of times for Leinster back in the day when one man and his dog would watch the games uh, back in the amateur era, and then went over to the UK, got a contract at Harlequins, all very exciting. I was 23 years of age and then bang, got injured. And that was kind of the end of it. So yeah. I, I lost my contract basically about, a week, about three weeks after I did my knee in. So uh, that wasn't a a nice experience but it pushed me into what i'm doing today
1: Uh, and again i remember your earlier years Uh, i was actually one of your earlier customers i believe Uh, i recall you coming to my office in dawson street Mm -hmm. in about i'd say it was about the maybe the late 90s um yeah uh so what was the first business that you that you that you embarked on
0: The first one I I did um, actually was during the Rugby World Cup in 1992, which was in Ireland. And I naively thought that everybody would want it, because they had the old benches in Lansdowne Road. So I naively thought everybody would want a cushion. Uh, So I went out and made loads of cushions and sold them on the side of the street as a vendor on the way in without a vending license or any of that. Um, hardly sold any of them. Uh, I wish I'd have kept them today. Uh, they would be a nice little interesting framed piece on my mantelpiece. But then when after I went through that and the rugby, because obviously it's not a sustainable business because we've noticed hardly any stadiums in Ireland. But it was just, I think when young people are young and naive, you should just let them do what they want. And my parents just encouraged me to do that. Um, from that point onwards, um, I did want to get into health. Uh, and before I got injured, rugby was actually amateur. So I had to actually do something. So I started um, uh, buying and selling vitamins, getting them produced in another country and putting my own labels on it and selling them over in the UK. Um, So that was kind of my first foray into health.
1: Tell us a little bit about the sector that VidHit works in.
0: Yeah, so believe it or not, when when I started this company 23 years ago, there wasn't actually a sector. Um, It was all sports drinks, energy drinks, um, colas and water, that was it. So when VidHit started... Uh, We had to kind of create our own section. Um, And the retailers didn't really understand what it was. I remember going to Spar who were my first customer in Ireland and the buyer there said, oh, another sports drink Uh, because they didn't really, you know, we hadn't seen anything like a low calorie vitamin drink like this. So we had to kind of try and create our own healthy category in between water and energy. It's It's where the product usually sits. And actually only in the last four to five years, stores are finally putting a health section within um, other kind of carbonate drinks. So it's taken a very long time to get to that. Now, the UK is a little bit ahead of that. Um, The UK, uh, where we sell a lot of products, would have uh, health sections in pretty much every fridge now because... You know, if you can get a product that tastes just as good or better than the sugar counterpart, why wouldn't you switch?
1: One of the things you've said is that uh, Vidit is one of those brands that if you stick it on the shelf, it sells. But it's getting it onto the shelf that has been the tough job. And you mentioned 25 years there. So is that still the challenge, just getting it up onto the shelf once you get it there and you can get the the retailer to embrace it, you know, that, that it's problem solved?
0: Yeah, it's certainly most of the problems solved. We will always back it up with a bit of marketing. <clears throat> but if you look at the large companies, they like let's say Coca-Cola, for instance, it's, I reckon that they probably launch across the globe, maybe 100 new brands every year. And I would say 99 to 100 of them will not be around in three or four years. So there's a very high attrition rate. So <clears throat> when I go to a foreign country and I say, this is very hits with it. You know, six best selling drink in Ireland and we're the top health selling drink uh, top selling health drink in the UK they kind of go yeah never heard of you and it's the really really hard job to get on the shelves there once we do we've never had a failure rate so you know a lot of products might go on the shelf where a buyer might think oh this is going to be great and if it doesn't hit a certain rate of sale they won't last 12 months Um, but in all the 23 years we've actually done business anytime that it's been on the shelf once it gets on the shelf we outperform a lot of the big guys um, which um which is great to see. You know, I love I love giving the big fellas a little bit of a kick in the ankles.
1: So, is, is it actually an Irish business? I know you're based yourself in Dubai now, but uh, what about the manufacturing process? How close are you to that?
0: Yeah, so it's, it's um, still um, an Irish business. There, when I set the company up back in 2000, um, I always wanted to, you know, be an Irish business, employ as many Irish people as possible. That has slightly changed at the time we tried to produce in Ireland. Um, we did so in Limerick and the the uh, facility went down and never reopened. So we had to move it across to the UK. We've since, through Brexit, uh, moved it to Belgium. So we produce all of our products in Belgium. And from there, they go to Ireland and all across the world. But I am very close to the manufacturing um, simply because I, I design all the flavors myself. I have a very unexotic middle-of-the-road Irish palate. <laughs> so uh, my I, I watch all my flavors and work very hard on all the flavors. So when we launch one, because I have a middle-of-the-road palate, I'm quite sure that most people will actually like it. And it's it's worked so far. So my, the whole idea was from day one was I wanted it to taste just as good as the sugary uh, contemporaries. And uh, so far, I think we've achieved that.
1: And indeed, you hit sales of almost 25 million last year. You're projecting 50 million in three years' time. How are you going to achieve that?
0: Um, Our big growth area is the UK. Um, Last year, we grew at 47%. The year before, we grew at about 60%. Um, We're still only in about 6,000 stores in the UK, which sounds like a lot. And it is a lot, but there's about 45,000 stores in the UK. Um, So our rate of sale is actually very high per store, uh, but we just need to get into more stores over there. So that's our real driver. Um, The rest of it, um, in Ireland, we won't grow at such a pace because we're more of a mature product here. Um, We'll grow as You know small double digit figures here in Ireland which is still sustainable growth when internationally the market is actually falling a little bit Um, and then we've got a lot of new territories so Australia is growing very fast Uh, we did about 3 million units there last year that will grow another 40-50% this year we have a lot of other countries um, that we sell to and who are coming on stream we currently sell uh, in the region here we're in um, all across UAE we're just launching Kuwait uh, launched in Qatar um, about a month ago. So that's we have a lot of uh, faith in, in the market over here. It's growing very fast here. And then we also have a couple of smaller countries which are very strong, like Iceland and uh, Luxembourg and <coughs> Holland.
1: Well, listen. It's a great success story, as you said yourself. You didn't think it'd take 25 years. It's probably going to take another 25, Gary, just to tell you that. But uh, nice to talk to you. <laughs> okay. Wishing you well in Dubai. Thank you very much. And wishing you well with It. What a great brand and a great Irish success story. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Bobby. Thank you. Pleasure. Down to business
0: with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.